My name is Ryan Palmer. I am the director of student ministries here, uh, and I, I lead the middle school program on Sunday mornings as well as Wednesday night. So let me begin with a question this morning. By a show of hands, how many of you have ever received a gift that you didn't know what to do with or you didn't know how to use it? Okay, most of us. See, when my son was two years old, he received a gift from, from his grandfather. It was a Power Wheels Jeep, and you'll see him right up there. Loves it. Now, as his father, I'm positive that I was more excited about this gift than he was. The moment it arrived on our doorstep, that night I opened it up and I put that thing together. I was so ready for my son to experience this amazing gift. Partly because when I was growing up, that's what I wanted. I remember growing up going like, all I want to do is drive. And unfortunately, I never got one. And then by the time my neighbors had one, I was too big for it and I couldn't ride in it. So here was this gift where I knew, wow, this is going to be amazing. And my son's going to love this gift. So in the morning, we put the Jeep outside, and I'm excited. I'm, I'm thinking he's just going to run right into this thing and take off. And so he gets out. He looks at the Jeep. He kind of looks at it. And then he walks over to the flower bed, starts picking up rocks and putting them in the back of the Jeep. And he just fills the back of the Jeep with rocks. And I'm sitting there kind of confused, like, what are you doing? That's, no, that's not what this is for. This isn't just to hold your rocks. And so I take him and I put him in the driver's seat and he's sitting there. I'm like, okay. And I'm like helping him press the pedal. I'm like, so you push your foot on the pedal. And so he would press the pedal and and then lift up. And so it was like, go, stop, go, stop. I'm like, is this a foreshadowing of the teenage years to come? Probably. And so finally, finally I get him just to keep his foot down on that pedal. And so he's going. But now he's going and his arms are just by his side and he's just, you know, going. He's not steering. And so I'm jogging beside him, pulling the wheel, keeping him from danger, keeping him from going into the neighbor's bushes and trees. You see, I had to to show him how, how to do these things. But what I realized in that moment was my son had received this gift that he didn't know what to do with. He didn't know what it was. And so he had this thing where I was so excited, and I knew its full potential, but my son didn't. Now, the last few weeks, we've been going through the story. Specifically in the story, we've been looking at the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's powerful and spiritually moving as the the death and resurrection of Jesus is. It's not the end of the story. There are still promises to be fulfilled. And that's where we're going to pick up today. We're going to look at where the Spirit came to us. But before we do, before we begin in Acts 2, I want to just review Acts chapter 1 because I believe there's some important things for us to know. So Luke, the author of Acts, writes this account and he says, for the first 40 days after after Jesus was risen, he spent time with the disciples and with people. It says that Jesus was teaching them. It says that he was providing them with convincing proofs of his resurrection And it says, towards the end of the 40 days, it said, finally, Jesus was eating with with his disciples, and he gives them a command. He says, wait and stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit baptizes you. And then just before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says this to them in Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
You see, everything in the book of Acts, looking forward, revolves around this verse. The narrative that we're going to see in Acts is this promise being fulfilled over and over and over again, as well as the gospel message multiplying and spreading until the point that we see us here in this room today. And then in the rest of chapter 1, we have Peter leading the disciples to fill the void that was left by Judas. And so they get together, they pray, and then they cast lots until they they find the person who had been there from the baptism to the resurrection to replace Judas. And that person was Matthias. And so they bring in Matthias to fulfill the twelve. Also worth mentioning is that the number of believers that were gathered together in waiting was 120 men plus the women. So let's begin then to look at Acts chapter 2 verse 1. So if you have your Bible today, you can open up to Acts 2 or you can read along with us on screen. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly... A sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the word of the Lord. So before we move forward, there are a couple things that I think are worth mentioning here in those four verses. The first thing, what was this Pentecost that they were there for? Well, Pentecost was known as this Jewish celebration of weeks because it happened seven weeks after the second day of Passover every year. So every year at the, after the second day of Passover, seven weeks later, they had this celebration. And that's what Pentecost literally means. It literally means 50, representing the 50 days from Passover. Now, this would have been a huge agricultural celebration So people from all over the place in different nations would have been coming to Jerusalem to celebrate this kind of harvest. And so they come together, and they're all there in Jerusalem. The next thing worth mentioning is the description that Luke gives of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we read it closely, we see that the Holy Spirit was not just a a violent wind or a tongue of fire, but rather the Holy Spirit was the sound of a violent wind. And secondly, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. You see, there's a reason that Luke uses these two symbols to describe the Holy Spirit. One is the ambiguity of it, right? Wind, wind can be gentle. It could be a nice, cool breeze on a warm summer night. Or it could be a hurricane-like force that is destructive in nature, And then fire, right? Fire in a fireplace can be warm and cozy and and comfortable, or it can rage out of control and consume hundreds of acres of land. You see, the reason that Luke chooses to use the symbolism that is ambiguous is because he doesn't want the Holy Spirit to be confined. He wants to make sure that it, it represents that. The next thing worth mentioning is that they were both, uh, it says that they were all filled, meaning that all 120 men and the women were filled with the Holy Spirit that day, not just the 12 disciples. And once they were filled, they began to speak in tongues that in this context, we will see is other languages. So let's continue on. Acts chapter two, verse five says, now 
there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Jump down to verse 12 and 13. It goes on and says, Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. So the Holy Spirit begins its work. It fills the disciples and the followers of Jesus with this, this power. They begin to speak in a way where everyone from their different nations hears their language being spoken. And then you have some stand up and say, They're drunk. It's the only explanation. They've been drinking too much wine or else this wouldn't be happening. This is weird. They didn't understand it. But it's this accusation that leads Peter to stand up and deliver his sermon. And it's in this sermon today that we're going to spend our time because I think in this sermon, we can walk away with how the Holy Spirit can empower us today. So let's continue on. In verse 14, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. So first thing Peter does is, hey, guess what? We're not drunk. It's 9 a.m. Let's be real. 9 a.m., no one's drinking. Okay, what you see before you, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. So first thing, he, he discredits what they're saying, this accusation. The second thing I really think we can walk away with here is, it's Peter who 50 days before was denying Jesus to the crowds. 50 days earlier, he was hiding because of persecution, because of his association with Jesus. That same Peter who now is standing up in front of a thousand, or in front of thousands of God-fearing Jews is now proclaiming all because of the power of the Holy Spirit that's within him. And this leads us to the first point I want us to hear today, which is the Holy Spirit empowers. The Holy Spirit empowers. Right? It echoes Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. For Peter and these followers, it empowered them to speak in other languages. It empowered them to boldly stand up in front of thousands of God-fearing Jews. So my question for us today is, what is the Holy Spirit empowering you to do today? Or whom is the Holy Spirit calling you to, to share Jesus with? Maybe the Holy Spirit is calling some of you here today to disciple someone that God has placed in your life. But whatever it is that God is calling you to do or the Holy Spirit is empowering to do, don't be afraid. Trust that the Holy Spirit is going to be present with you during that process. And secondly, don't be discouraged because of missed opportunities. We all have them. All of us at some point or another have missed an opportunity to be led by the Holy Spirit to do something that he has called us to do. But the beautiful thing is we can grow from that. We can learn from those experiences. When I was in college, I went out to lunch one day to buy a $5 Little Caesars pizza. And any of you who've been in college know that's a great deal and a feast. 
Sometimes it provides multiple meals. Sometimes it does not. So I get to Little Caesars. And for whatever reason, the Lord was speaking to me that day. And as I got there, I felt the God, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, buy two. And so I said, okay, Lord, I will submit. <laughs> I will buy two pizzas. So I told the lady, I was like, I, actually, you know what? I, I, need to, I need to take two, so I'll take two. So I buy two, and I'm thinking, well, this is great. Thank you, Jesus and Holy Spirit. And so as I'm walking to my car, though, a thought enters my mind, a thought that wasn't of my own, and it said, how about this? If I see a homeless person walking on the street between here and my apartment, I will pull over and give this pizza to them because it belongs to them. And I felt that clearly. I knew this is what the Holy Spirit is calling me to do. And so I said, okay, that's only three blocks away. So the odds are in my favor. (laughs) Still fighting with the Holy Spirit, like, I'm going to get a free pizza. This is great. And so I get in my car and wouldn't you know, a block in, a block in, I see a man walking down the street and I know This is the homeless man that the Holy Spirit has called me to give this pizza to. And I realized in that moment, okay, I need to turn around and I need to give him this pizza. But instead, I just kept on driving. I just kept on going straight to my apartment. I don't know why, but I knew it clear as day. I disobeyed the Holy Spirit. I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew that that man was supposed to benefit from the calling that God had placed in my life. And I denied that. I kept going all the way to my apartment with my guilt pizza. See, even as I share this story today and whenever I share that illustration with my students, I feel uneasy. I feel uneasy because I know I I disobeyed. I know that the Lord spoke to me through the Holy Spirit and then I didn't listen. But you see, I have a choice. I can choose to either reflect back on that experience and dwell in the guilt and the shame of my disobedience or I can learn from it and I can make a commitment to say the next time that the Holy Spirit speaks in my life, I will be obedient. I will listen. I will submit. And that's the choice that I need to make. And I use this illustration in my life as a reminder of that. Not that I would dwell on the shame, but rather that I would commit myself to being obedient in the future. When the Lord speaks. See, just because we fail doesn't mean that we can't grow from it. Peter continues in his sermon. He begins to preach from the Old Testament book of Joel. And this is what he has to say to the crowd when he is finished. He says this in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, I don't know about all of you in here, but when I meet with someone for the first time to tell them about Jesus, I don't usually start with, so here's, you know, Jesus, he was the son of God, and you killed him. Not really the friendliest way to begin, but yet that's what Peter does. Peter starts off this sermon, he says, okay, here's... Here is Jesus, whom God sent, whom was handed over to you, whom you crucified. You killed him. 
And what's interesting is that Peter knows that most of these people who are present are from other nations. That they weren't even present during the actual trial and crucifixion of Jesus. Some may have, but the majority of them probably weren't. So why was Peter accusing them of killing Jesus? Well, let's continue to read and we'll kind of fill this out. So Peter continues in verse 36. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So Peter says it again. Hey, in case you missed it, you killed Jesus. He repeats himself. And in that moment, I think the crowd had a choice. They could, they could have become defensive. They could have said, hey, I wasn't even here. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm from over here. I wasn't even here during all that, that whole thing. And so why are you accusing me of this? But instead, something else happens. They heard a truth being preached that they could relate to, and that truth cut them to the heart. And this leads to the next point. The Holy Spirit meets people right where they are. The Holy Spirit meets people right where they are. The Holy Spirit meets us right where we are at. You see, it wasn't a coincidence that the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples during Pentecost when thousands of God-fearing Jews were coming into the city of Jerusalem. God knew that this was the right time. And he knew that this was the time for this message to be shared. And so the truth that Peter shares with everyone is a message that everyone even here today needs to hear, which is this, we are all responsible for the death of Jesus. And I believe when Peter said that, he included himself in that. We are all responsible for the death of Jesus. Because as Paul says in Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we can all relate to that. Every person can relate to missing the mark because we live in an imperfect world. We live in a fallen world. Why is it so important that the Holy Spirit meets us where we're at? Think about this. If the Holy Spirit were to wait until we have obtained righteousness, the Holy Spirit would be waiting. Had the Holy Spirit waited until I was more obedient? Had the Holy Spirit waited until I was more mature in my faith? Or if the Holy Spirit waited until I knew more about the Bible, I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit would still be waiting on me today. But instead, the Holy Spirit met me right where I was at. A goofy, disobedient 16-year-old boy. And he changed my life forever. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit meeting us right where we're at. So let's see how the Holy Spirit met this crowd. Verse 38. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call with many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So yes, we all fall short, but we are all also freely justified by the grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. Now maybe some of us are here today, and we're struggling with that. 
were struggling with that acceptance of freely receiving the grace that Jesus has offered. And because we struggle with receiving that, that grace, we can't live into the fullness of the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. You see, I get it. And I've struggled. There have been times in my life where I felt unworthy. There were times where I felt like my shame and my guilt were too much. That God couldn't handle it. I wasn't worthy of the grace he was offering me. And because of that, I neglected the Holy Spirit's working in my life. But you see, that's exactly where the enemy wants us to live. The enemy wants us to live in that shame and that guilt because it takes our focus off of the Holy Spirit. And when we take our focus off the Holy Spirit, we miss opportunities to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I say that again. When we take our focus off of the Holy Spirit, we miss opportunities to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And think about what this world would look like if all Christians lived in that power to its fullest potential every day. But what a beautiful message for that original audience for that group of people, right, who were living under a law that they knew they could never fulfill. Obedient to it, but still knowing that there were going to be times where they couldn't live up to every aspect of the law, which then made them dependent on priests who had to go and sacrifice to a God that they had failed. So imagine this people who hearing this truth for the first time, Imagine the relief that they experienced when all of a sudden they hear about this Jesus who frees them from this. Who says that it's no longer about what you do, but rather what Jesus has already done for you. All you have to do at this point is accept the forgiveness that he's offering. And then in turn, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happened? 3,000 people came to know Jesus as their Lord that day and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were baptized. That is power. And that is the Spirit meeting people where they're at. And this brings us to the last point. The Holy Spirit is not done working. You see, we see this in the rest of chapter 28 of the story. The Holy Spirit empowering believers to live boldly for Jesus. We see it when Stephen preaches to the Sanhedrin and then it costs him his life. We see it when all of a sudden there's one of the greatest persecutors to the Christian church. A man named Saul encounters Jesus, is filled with the Holy Spirit, then becomes one of the greatest missionaries to the Christian church. We see it again in Peter, a man who was once fearful of persecution, living boldly and embracing the persecution to spread the good news of Christ. And we see it today, right here, with the men and women who are committed to fellowship, teaching and breaking bread together, and inviting others into that experience, committing ourselves to fulfill our call as witnesses. You see, we have an opportunity this morning, an opportunity to recognize that the Holy Spirit is not just some symbolic thing. Rather, it is the person, the living God, God the creator, the one who spoke all things into creation, the God that has journeyed with us through the story, through scriptures, the God who says we can move mountains. That God is the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit lives within us and is present with us daily. 
You see, and here's the beautiful part. There's no magic words or special ceremony to live into this power of the Holy Spirit. It's just there. All, this, all it takes is us recognizing daily that it is God who is present in his Holy Spirit. Once we've committed our lives to Jesus, it's there. We don't have to go looking for it. We just need to acknowledge it and recognize it. You see, it's been a year since my son received his gift of his Power Wheels Jeep. Now, man, he knows how to do everything. He knows how to steer. He knows how to drive. I even increased the speed. I actually have to ride a longboard just to keep up with him. But he can use his gift now to its fullest potential. And so if we here today could do the same thing, if we could recognize that the Holy Spirit and the potential of living fully into that power, we would see revival. We would see this place, this harbor, consumed with the love of God. We would see every Christian church overflowing because we are obedient to the power that lives within us daily. But I understand. I understand that Sunday is one thing, but Monday is another and Tuesday and Wednesday, that we all go out into the world and we have responsibilities and things that that surround us, things that we have to take care of. But my suggestion, my, my hope for all of us is that we would first, before all those things, lean on the power of the Holy Spirit, that daily we would wake up and say, Lord, let me recognize the fullness of who you are in my life today, and may I go out and live it. And I guarantee you, when we do, we will see disciples making disciples making disciples, and we will see people from children to youth to adults coming to know who Jesus is. Because you cannot contain the Spirit. You cannot fight against the Spirit. Hell itself cannot break the Spirit. And that is the power that's within each and every one of us here today. So let us pray. Holy Father, thank you for allowing us to have this amazing and precious gift, Lord. A close, personal relationship with you, Lord. That you, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit are present within us. Lord, that there is nothing we can do. Father, but rather within our weaknesses, it says you are made perfect. So, Father, may we move forward boldly. May we be obedient to when your spirit calls. Father, I pray that you fall upon this place. And I pray that daily we recognize your power and that we will see, Lord, this work done until the day you return. In your name, amen. for him, then I don't have them. You see, my brain has not yet reached the point where it could adequately form a thought that would really describe the greatness of my God, and my lungs have not yet developed the ability to release a breath with enough agility to breathe out the greatness of his love. And my voice, you see, my voice is so limited. Restrained by human inhibitions, it's hard to even send the praise up. You see, if there are words for him, then I don't have them. My God, his grace is remarkable. Mercies are innumerable. Strength is impenetrable. He is honorable, accountable, favorable. He's unsearchable, yet knowable. Indefinable, yet approachable. Indescribable, yet personable. 
He's beyond comprehension, further than imagination, constant through generations, king of every nation. But if there are words for him, then I don't have them. You see, my words are few, and in trying to capture the one true God using my own vocabulary would never do, but I use words as an expression an expression of worship to a Savior, a Savior who is both worthy and deserving of my praise, so I use words. And my heart extols the Lord, blesses His name forever. He has won my heart, captured my mind, and has bound them both together. He has defeated me in my rebellion, conquered me in my sin. He has welcomed me into His presence, completely invited me in. He has made Himself the object of my sight, flooding me with mercies in the morning and drowning me with grace by the night. But if there are words for him, then I don't have them. But what I do have is good news. For my God knew that man-made words would never do. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the word, living proof. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, giving to nothingness formation. And by his word he sustains in the power of his name, for he is before all things, and over all things he reigns. Holy is his name, so praise him for his life. The way he persevered in strife, the humble Son of God, becoming the perfect sacrifice, praise him for his death. That he willingly stood in our place, that he lovingly endured the grave, that he battled our enemy, and on the third day rose in victory. He is everything that was promised. Praise him as the risen king. Lift your voice and sing. For one day, he will return for us. And we will finally be united with our Savior for eternity. So it's not just words that I proclaim. For my words point to the word. And the word has a name. Hope has a name. Joy has a name. Peace has a name. Love has a name. And that name is Jesus Christ. Praise his name forever.